keep track of where the preacher is up to, uh, then you can use that uh, for that. Or alternatively, you can use it to write down any comments or thoughts, inspiring words that you want to remember, hopefully and maybe. Let's pray as we spend this time in the Psalms. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for correcting us at times. And thank you for training us in the way of righteousness that we might be the people that you call us to be. We pray that your spirit would do that work through your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Famous words that end every Disney movie. And they lived happily ever after. I'm hoping to go see Frozen 2 with my daughter, uh, Mimi, at some point in the school holidays. I love the first Disney Frozen movie and I'm excited to see uh, the next one as well and to see what new song is going to be stuck in my head uh, for the next 12 months. It was Let It Go a few years ago. Now I've heard it something about going into the unknown, uh, but I'm looking forward uh, to that. I wonder what is your favourite Disney movie, whether it was one of the Frozen movies or Cinderella or Beauty and the Beast or, or whatever it might be, but they all tend to end the same and so they lived happily ever after. And there is a profound sense of relief when you get to the end of a dramatic film or a dramatic story where every loose end is tied up, the drama has concluded and everything is back the way that it ought to be, happily ever after. Ask almost any person what they want out of life and they will say, I want to be happy. Ask any parent what they long for their children, they will say, I just want them to be happy. And yet for a people bent on the pursuit of happiness, we're not doing so well, are we? The areas that we look for happiness in are often so fickle. Relationships, career, recreation, money. Few would admit that they've found lasting happiness. Even amongst Christians, there are so many of us that just often feel unhappy. But we aren't short of advice in where to find true happiness either. There is an endless supply of self-help books that you can find on any library shelf or any bookstore saying if you just do this one thing, you will find ultimate happiness. Maybe at your family get-togethers over this past Christmas week, maybe that older relative, maybe your mother or your father, your grandmother or grandfather weren't short of advice in giving authoritative advice on what you need to do in the new year to be happy. Who do we listen to in our pursuit of happiness? Well, today I want us to listen to God through Psalm 1. For in Psalm 1, we get some advice from our Creator on how to truly have not just a, a happy new year, but a happy new life. Psalm 1 has often been described as the, the gateway psalm because it is Psalm 1, the opening of the book of Psalms, but it's also an introduction to all of the Psalms about how we ought to read and respond to the Psalms and that is to treat the Psalms as God's word to us, to listen to them, to meditate on them and to find true happiness in his word. Hopefully as Juan read out Psalm 1, you could see that Psalm 1 really is a compare, on contra, compare and contrast of two ways of living, two ways of pursuing happiness, 
two groups of people to listen for advice from. The first the psalmist talks about is the way of the world. If I can get this to work, the way of the world. Have a look at verse 1. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. The psalm begins by pointing out where true happiness is not found and it's not found by following the way of the world. The three types of people that are mentioned in that verse 1, the wicked, the sinners and the mockers, all have one thing in common. They're pursuing a life not based around God and his word, taking his word seriously. And I think the the order in verse 1 indicates a, a progressive descent into rebellion against God. It's not like people wake up one morning saying, I'm not going to do what God wants to do anymore. There is a a process involved. Verse 1, it starts with following or or walking in the advice of the wicked. Some versions of Psalm 1 talk about do not walk in the advice of the wicked. It starts with following, with, with walking. And then it's taking the path or some versions say standing in the way of sinners. Walking is followed by a deliberate choice to make a certain decision, to stand in that advice. And then thirdly, to join with a group of mockers, or some versions say to sit with a group of mockers. A move from a a deliberate choice to live a certain way to resting in that choice, sitting in it, becoming a part of your lifestyle and therefore mocking others who don't live your way. First you walk, you hear some advice and you start to follow it. Then you stand in that advice, you make certain decisions and then you sit in those decisions. You are at ease in those decisions that you have made. Bad counsel will lead to bad decisions and then ultimately to a bad way of life, particularly in relationship to others and ultimately, of course, with God. Now, what does that way of the world look like? Well, it could look like anything, can't it? But just thinking about this idea of the pursuit of happiness, what, does, what is the world's advice when it comes to the pursuit of happiness? Is it not this? Do whatever feels right for you. If it feels good, embrace it. To deny yourself is to deny your own personal happiness. That is the general advice of our world when it comes to the pursuit of happiness. Do whatever feels right for you. And we see that being lived out in our culture all the time with people moving from one relationship to another, one job, one career to another in the pursuit of whatever feels good. But it doesn't take multiple degrees in psychology to know how daft that advice really is in practice. Firstly, that advice is so inconsistent. On Boxing Day, I felt like I needed that piece of cheesecake. And so I did. But then on the third piece of cheesecake, it didn't start to feel so good. In fact, it was nauseatingly bad. Secondly, the advice is not just inconsistent, but it can be outright dangerous. Imagine telling a teenage boy, do whatever makes you feel good. Excuse me? Can you imagine how dangerous and crazy that advice is, particularly to those of us who have emerging teenage daughters? 
how crazy that advice is. And is it not this hedonistic lifestyle, just pursuing whatever makes you feel good, has led to record levels of alcohol and drug abuse? And there have been endless debates in our medical and political circles in recent years on how to curb alcohol-fueled violence, whether we have curfews or not curfews or whatever it might be. We can all see that there is a problem, that this philosophy of doing whatever feels right doesn't work in practice. And the psalmist, centuries ago, knew this. Have a look at verse 4. In verse 4. The wicked are not like this. That is, a tree planted beside streams of living water. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked are like chaff. You know, that part of the, of the wheat kernel that's just picked up by the wind and, and blown away, rootless, useless, lacking substance, easily just taken away. Any happiness that the world's philosophy offers you is temporary at best, says the psalmist. Like a game of Monopoly with your family on Christmas night. Oh yes, it might start out so well as you seek to gain all the money and all the property for yourself. But soon enough you know that there'll be chaos. That things will be blown away or the board will be tossed over. And there'll be broken relationships everywhere. And then everything is going to end up in the box anyway. And a spiritual box is the end of those who follow the way of the world. According to the psalmist. Have a look again at verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not survive the judgment. And sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. The great foolishness of following the advice or the way of the world is the denial of the reality of God. And Jesus himself warned his disciples about this. In Mark chapter 8, he said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The implied answer is, is nothing. Why do you want to just live for yourself in pursuit of pleasure when you have the reality of God before you? The great foolishness of the way of the world is the denial of the reality of God. Whatever short-term pleasures are gained from pursuing happiness by just doing whatever feels right for living for yourself is going to be blown away by the undeniable reality of God when you stand before him. And remember, according to the psalmist, if you're standing in the way of sinners, at the end you'll have nowhere to stand when you come face to face with God. The way of the world is not the way to true happiness. So what is? Well, the psalmist tells us. It's the way of the word. Have a look again at verse 1 and 2. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. The way to happiness is not found in doing what makes you feel good, but in doing what God says is good. And not begrudgingly so, according to the psalmist, but by delighting in what God says. Just as one might delight in the enjoyment of a fresh mango on a hot summer's day, so the person 
who is happy, delights in the word of God. The psalmist says that the happy person doesn't just delight in God's word, but meditates on it. And friends, meditation and reading are very different, just like eating and tasting is quite different. It's one thing to eat a mango, it's another thing to taste a mango, to slow down, to enjoy its texture, its flavour, its sweetness, its dripping juice all over your face. You want more and more of it. And it's the same with meditating on the Word of God. It's one thing to read it and tick the box. It's another thing to slow down and to enjoy each psalm, each sentence of Scripture and hear what God wants to tell you in and through it. The Bible is God's love letter to you and to me. Your reading in the Bible, the counsel, the advice of a loving or wise Heavenly Father His instructions, his rules, his commandments are there, yes, but they're not there to ruin our lives, to ruin our pursuit of happiness, as you might think. His instructions are there to help us, like the instructions, the rules of music. They're there to help us make beautiful songs. God's instructions are there to help us make a beautiful life, to live the truly blessed and happy life. The way to true happiness is to delight and meditate on God's word. And it works. Have a look at verse 3. The man who does this, he is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And as you read that verse, it's hard not to picture the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 or the the river of life and the tree of life in Revelation 21 and 22 in the new heavens and the new earth. A picture of rest, of fruitfulness, of safety and security. The way of the world leads to temporary and disappearing happiness, but the way of the word leads to true happiness, eternal rest and security. Some people get hung up on verse 3 and the promise that the leaf or their leaf does not wither. And think that everything, if the man of God is devoted to God's word, nothing bad will happen to him in life. But that verse is not a denial of the seasons of life that plants and leaves go through. Those following the way of the word will still face summer and winter, good times and hard times. But those following the way of the word will be free of the crippling damage that those hard times can often cause others in the world. People of the word, the psalmist wants to remind us, will survive. They will survive and continue to bear fruit. Why? Because of verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The way of the word is contrasted with the way of the world. So the way not just to have a, a happy new year in the week ahead, but to have a happy new life, is not to follow the advice of the world, do whatever feels right, but to follow the way of the word, to do what God says is right. Of course, none of us by nature are the man or woman of Psalm 1. There is only one man who has lived Psalm 1, and of course that is Jesus Christ, our Saviour. 
when he was tempted to listen to the advice of the world, he stayed true to the word of God. When he was mocked and ridiculed by others, he continued to delight in God's word and to be obedient to his father's command, even to the point of death and then resurrection, where he became the one through which we can become, according to verse 5 of Psalm 1, that community of the righteous. And it is, of course, Jesus, the man of Psalm 1, who calls us now to listen to him, to obey him, to be the branches of his vine, watered by his life-giving word and spirit. Many of you are going to make New Year's resolutions in the next few days. Can I encourage you to go beyond the worldly resolutions, you know, to do more exercise, to to eat less, blah, blah, blah. You know that they're going to be blown away by the end of January. Now, you can make those resolutions, that's okay. But can I commend to you a New Year's resolution based on Psalm 1? Resolve for 2020 to follow the man of Psalm 1, to follow Jesus by delighting in his word. Now, reading the Bible can quite easily at times feel like a religious duty, can't it? Grinding through a chapter, ticking the box on the big spreadsheet that you've created for the year ahead. But it can lack joy and delight. But it doesn't need to be. And often it only feels like that because we feel like there are more pressing matters that we need to get to. And so we quickly read through our Bible reading for the day, tick it off and then get to what we really need to get to that day. We don't press pause long enough to enjoy those mango moments in God's Word. How can I meditate on God's Word day and night in the year ahead? Doesn't that seem impossible? Well, the psychological experts tell us that it takes six weeks to make or break a habit. So let me encourage you to start small. Rather than thinking about the next 52 weeks, the next 365 days, and your Bible reading plan for that period of time, just think about the next six weeks, the next 30 or 40 days. Can you commit to living out Psalm 1 for the next six weeks? Commit to meditating on God's Word each day for six weeks. And just see what God might do in you and through you. Experience the delight of his word again. See the fruit that he will bear by his spirit in your life. And you know what? You might just, at the end of that six weeks, come to the point where you say, I can't think of any better way to start or end the day than in God's word now. Now you might be thinking, where do I start? The Bible is so big. And of course it is. It's rich. There's so much there to take. Let me give you some practical advice as you begin a new year. Firstly, be practical. So often you hear a message like this and basically it's read your Bible more. And you have and you make these grand plans for the new year. You know, you go to the YouVersion Bible app and you download every Bible reading plan under the sun that you can see. But then it will so often like every other New Year's resolution fizzle out at the end of the first week. Can I encourage you to be practical? Start small. We're going to be looking at the Psalms over summer. Why don't you make it your commitment to read one Psalm per day? 
And there are some short ones. But they are full of mango deliciousness. Be practical. And same with your family devotions. Maybe you've come to the end of the year and you're like, yeah, our family devotions haven't quite been what they intended to be this year. That's okay, just, just start again. Be practical. Maybe commit to two or three times a week where you can just read a psalm or a passage of scripture with your family over dinner or before bedtime and just make the most of those two or three times. Be practical. Secondly, plan it. Link your Bible reading with another habit that you do regularly. We say this all the time, don't we? But we so often fall down in this area. Plan it. You know the old saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So plan it. Whether it's after breakfast, on the train to work, whatever it might be, plan it. And then thirdly, persevere in it. Because we aren't the man of Psalm 1, we are going to fail. But we are also the community of the righteous. We do have a a wonderful saviour. So when you fall, don't be overwhelmed by it. You know, whack yourself on the back, God, I'm hopeless. Just come before your heavenly father. Admit your failings. He will forgive you. You are his child, you're his son and daughter. And then just recommit to delighting in his word again. Persevere in it. I was going to bring to church today a plant that's been growing in my front yard. But I've been sick the last couple of days and so couldn't be bothered digging it up actually. So here's a photo of what might look like. There's a a small little lemon gum tree that's just sprouted in our front garden and it's come up really quickly. I think, you know, the birds must have seeded it and and it's just grown up over the last couple of months. And it's it's quite a delightful uh, little shrub at the moment, little sapling of a gum tree. Um, We do need to move it because where it is, if it continues to grow, you know, one day it's going to be like this, right? And where it's located in our front garden, the wardens won't be too happy if it continues to grow to its full height. It'll start to destroy the rectory and any other properties around the area. My neighbours won't be too pleased either. So in a few days, we're going to relocate this little sapling of a gum tree into our big backyard where we hope, even with water restrictions, that the small renewal of water it'll put roots deep down into the soil and in time will grow to provide a great amount of shade uh, for our backyard i want you to imagine this morning as we finish that you are a young tree a sapling on the verge of a new year can i encourage you it's time to plant deep roots into the life-giving water of god's word The same life-giving water that Jesus shared to the woman at the well. A water that doesn't deny the harshness of life, but can transform it. A water that we can freely drink from. There are no water restrictions when it comes to the life-giving water of Jesus. So plant your roots deep into that water in 2020. Delight in God's word. Find that mango deliciousness that's there and you will continue to bear fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us a hunger and thirst for your word, that we might be truly that tree that is planted by streams of living water, that we might be safe, secure, fruitful for you. In Jesus' name we pray.